Well, you know, 9-11 was a huge shock to everybody. It wasn't as if we didn't know that there were the possibility of terrorism that was, you know, well understood. It was part of international relations. But I don't think anybody, even many of our uh, leaders, expected that we would have something as dramatic and as frightening as uh, 9-11. And, you know, it did briefly uh, bring the uh, country together. You know, if you look at um, the, just one example, the popularity of uh, President uh, George W. Bush, um, he, because of 9-11 and, and his managing of that situation, he enjoyed one of the longest periods of high popularity of any president since we've been measuring presidential popularity. And there was a lot of talk that maybe there was a, a going to be unity going forward. Well, it didn't last very long. Um, you know, the problems of politics reasserted themselves. And, um, but, but, you know, there are some important changes. Just try to get on an airplane. You know, or a bus or a train in the United States. I mean, the security measures have really changed the way we live. And, of course, the level of attention that we pay to things like terrorism has increased. Uh, but politics continues, and uh, I don't know if we're the most divided we've ever been. You know, think back to the Civil War in the uh, 1860s, 1850s, 1860s, but certainly in my lifetime, this is just about as divided as we've ever been. And it's sad to think about you know, how we came from that um, the terrible tragedy of 9-11 to, you know, today's conflict. I agree. Dr. John Green with us, University of Akron. John, the background that led up to 9-11, there was a lot of political intrigue here. When you talk about U.S. into the Middle East, from Israel to Saudi Arabia to even sanctions with Iraq, that all led up to this 9-11 terrorist attack? Maybe the background for us. Well, you know, I think part of the background is the end of the Cold War. You know, from the end of World War II up into the late 1980s, international politics was largely governed by the competition between the Soviet Union and their allies on the one hand and the United States and our allies on the other hand. And, you know, there was a lot of problems in the Cold War, but it did provide a kind of stability to international politics uh, that went away once the, the Cold War ended. But then many of the other conflicts in the world, including me, the conflicts in the Arab world and the Middle East, um, came you know, to center stage. And um, some of that had to do with uh, conflicts between states. But we saw the rise of what uh, scholars like to call non-state actors, things like al-Qaeda and then eventually ISIS where there were groups that operated, in a sense, outside of the system of countries, the system of nations, where most international conflict is managed. And, you know, it was a very difficult time, uh, not just for the United States, but for Arab countries. And um, it had ramifications for conflicts in many, many different areas. And so that was what led up to 9-11, this huge symbolic attack on, on the United States as a symbol of the West. Uh, it wasn't just American interests, right? It was the, the interest of the uh, Western powers um, and on, and on behalf of a group of people uh, that really felt quite aggrieved by a long history of what they saw as oppression. So that's kind of the background that led up to 9-11. Uh, those conflicts haven't gone away, though. They've taken some new forms.
Yeah, I agree. Dr. John Green from the University of Akron. And John, where we are today, and I remember President Bush 21 years ago saying this is going to be a long, drawn-out war on terror, and it certainly has, and it's continuing. But, John, how do you look at the war on terror from the United States to globally on where we were, what we attacked and beat down, and what is still, unfortunately, alive and well? Well, you know, I think the underlying conflicts, uh, some of them having to do with religion, some of them having to do with ethnicity, um, many of them really national conflicts, conflicts within nations that spill across borders. I think those conflicts are very much still with us. But um, some of the uh, terrorist organizations have been defeated. Um, You know, there may be new ones developing as as we speak. And, you know, the... um, most nations, when nations in the West as well as in other parts of the world, have adjusted to the threats of terrorism. And some of those adjustments have been you know, more successful than others. But we really do live in a different world because of 9-11. Dr. John Green with us, University of Akron, professor of political science, Bliss Institute there as well. And here we are today, John, and now we hear that Russia and China are having a summit China is speaking out to be positive with the relations for Russia and will back them. And this is what we've always thought. Now the words are there. And what kind comes to mind immediately here is a spillover in regards to Russia and the Ukraine and how big this could grow in a hurry with China announcing support for Russia here. And I know I'm drifting off the 9-11, but it is a war. And again, when you're looking at the situations that started, as you mentioned, the Cold War, and here we are now, this could escalate, unfortunately, in a hurry. Well, it certainly could. You know, and one of the things that um, statesmen have always had to do is manage conflict between nations. And with the end of the Cold War and then going through this period of uh, terrorism and non-state actors, um, we now have arrived at a multipolar world. We don't have just two grand coalitions, you know, with a few people, you know, non-aligned. We really have at least three major powers, the United States and our allies, Russia and their allies, and, and China. And the fact that uh, China and Russia are now cooperating is, is you know, a, a very important factor in, in international relations. You know, some of this arose directly because of the problems in Ukraine, which arose very directly because of the simmering and unresolved conflicts <laughs> from the Cold War. So, you know, this could get out of hand very quickly, um, but that danger is nothing new. Uh, we've had this for a long time. It's just that we have two, the United States faces two major rivals who see an opportunity to cooperate with each other and set aside their differences in order to uh, gain some leverage on the United States. John, last week, I haven't had a chance to talk to you since, former President Donald Trump lending support to Mike DeWine. And I know this is political strategy of the former president lending support to the favorite, but boy, this is an about-face especially since he had some harsh words for DeWine, DeWine, I should say, not too long ago. Well, that's certainly true. Uh, Mike DeWine's a good example of a Republican leader who really worked hard to balance 
getting support from the Trump supporters without being too close to former President Trump and some of the things that, that the governor does not agree with him on. And it's really been a tightrope and um, a lot of tension between uh, Governor DeWine and, and President Trump and, and now former President Trump. But part of this, I think, is strategy. Uh, President Trump would like to uh, extend his uh, influence in Republican and national politics. And one way to do that is to pick winners. And, uh, you know, sometimes he's backed uh, unusual candidates um, that uh, are, are new to politics. Uh, but sometimes he backs, you know, the people who are likely to win. And I'm sure that the, the governor's uh, campaign views this positively. Uh, but, of course, um, there's a real danger of getting too close uh, to President Trump is, of course, still immensely controversial. And that brings to mind my final question for today. And uh, former president has backed J.D. Vance. And polling is saying that Vance and, and Tim Ryan very close here in the state of Ohio, which is a huge Senate race that's going to come to a conclusion in November. Talk about the polling in this race, Vance and Tim Ryan. Well, the most recent polling I've seen shows J.D. Vance a bit ahead, but um, probably within the margin of error of many of the polls. I think it's a very, very close race. Um, you know, Vance is an unusual uh, Republican, um, and then not just because of the endorsement of, of of Donald Trump, but Tim Ryan's an unusual Democrat. I mean, he represents a kind of Democrat used to be very common in Ohio, uh, someone with a more populist leaning. Um, you know, not you know uh, mimicking Donald Trump down the line, but but raising and discussing many of the issues uh, that the Trump voters care about. So I think we're going to see a very very close race. And you know, if the Republicans want to take over the Senate, they have to be able to hold the seats they currently have. And that seat is currently held by Senator Rob Portman, a Republican who's retiring at the end of this year. Um, so it's really, really an important race, and it, it may be the race that determines who controls the Senate after this election. That's well said, John. That was my final question for you this morning. Maybe expand just a touch, but this, for people just jumping in and might not look as much into the state politics, this is a state race that has huge national implications, the Vance-Tim Ryan race. Oh, absolutely. And I think this is one of the things that, um, you know, analysts such as myself are paying very close attention to because it will uh, tell us a lot about what politics looks like going forward, you know, and into 2024, the next presidential race. 